Welcome to Pathways to Wisdom, a show about journey and legacy, contribution, and the meaning of life. We all have interesting stories about the paths we have chosen, the people we have touched, and the wisdom that comes with living life to the fullest. We have a choice each day to live into our greatness, and our greatness is informed by what we do, how and who we love, and what we believe about ourselves and others. Now here's the host of Pathways to Wisdom, Deborah Brown. And yes, this is Pathways to Wisdom, and welcome, welcome. My guest today is Tina Lifford, and I would like to tell you a little bit about Tina, and then she's going to tell us about herself. With more than 15 years as a working Hollywood actress, Tina Lifford has a face that people recognize. She currently stars as Renee Trussell on NBC's hit series Parenthood and as Evelyn Lancaster in the VH1 hit Single Ladies. Working in an industry that chews talent up and spits them out is not easy, and Tina decided a long, long time ago to be more than a flash in the pan. Her tales of her Hollywood journey are humorous, inspirational, and instructive, and hopefully she'll give us some juicy secrets today. Welcome to Pathways to Wisdom, Tina. Well, thank you so much for having me, Deborah. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's going to be a wonderful hour, and I know that I'm going to extract some kind of juicy secret that you never expected to tell, but it'll be your choice, so you'll you'll know when it. <laughs> we'll both know when it happens, right? Well, I, I'm I'm willing. I I like to live my life sort of willing and and pretty much an open book. So let's go for it. Well, I have a sense that open book is probably a key to the rest of what we're going to talk about, but we'll come back to that. The first thing I like to ask for is what I call your two-minute movie, and that is your life as far back as you would like to go, all the way to childhood if you like, and tell whatever you want to tell us for two minutes, and that is your life's journey in two minutes. Ready? Go. Okay. Well, um, as you were describing the exercise to me, uh, the first thing that popped into my mind were my parents, um, and particularly my dad. And my dad, and I, I can see my mom right this moment, you know, right there with him, um, saying, you can do whatever you want. And it used to really sort of annoy my father um, if, in fact, we fell into a place where we were following others or um, feeling like we couldn't do, be, or have uh, was more predominant. And he would really sort of take a stance. You can do whatever you want, you know. So um, my two-minute journey is always having that voice in the back of my mind as I moved through. And um, there are some things that other people hadn't dared there's things like um, an acting career, even though I was told repeatedly over and over that I could not have or could not be because it was so challenging or hard or or uh, whatever. Um, so walking through life, confronting challenges and obstacles, but hearing my parents constantly say, you can do, be, and have anything you want is really the the movie that loops through my mind more than anything else. Well, I understand that. And um, 
you know, I, I have that similar uh, movie. Thank God, you know, for, for great parents. And I'm glad that mm-hmm. uh, that your mother is, is still with us, I believe. I know she is. Yes. And I'm, I'm yes, hoping she she's listening right now. So, um <laughs> Hello there. <laughs> we'll just shout out to your mom. Um, well, I want to say I have interviewed several famous people, and no one of those se- uh, several famous people has actually appeared on my TV screen. I would say I've seen you on television probably 14 times, and I can tell you that no one has been in a movie with Clint Eastwood that I've interviewed besides you. <laughs> and I just want to know, has your life as a working Hollywood actress been as glamorous as I think it must have been or must be because you're continuing to do that? Right. Well, that's a great question. And I'm, gonna, I'm going to um, answer it starting with the disclaimer. I do not... Uh, consider myself famous. I am not famous. You don't know, most people don't know my name. However, I do have a face that a lot of people recognize. And and um, it's a face that they're not real sure where they know me from. Um, it's actually one of the ways in which I was divinely stamped coming in as a child because I have a face that people feel like they know. I remind someone of a friend, an aunt, a friend of a friend. That's just the way in which I came onto the planet. But then the truth is uh, I have probably been on TV um, a lot, (laughs) Uh, much more than maybe some of the other famous people you know uh, if you're not in the entertainment business. Uh, I've had a very successful uh, career as a working actress. And I I underscore working actress because when I was dreaming the dream, that's what I dreamt. You know, that's what I asked for, to be a respected Hollywood actress, a respected, sought-after Hollywood actress. And that's the phrasing of that want was very specific. I crafted it because it said to me that um, if I'm a respected, sought-after Hollywood actress, it meant that I would be successful. It meant that my work was a level that made people want to work with me. And it meant that I was earning a a living, you know, um, a healthy, successful living doing doing what I love. So, that's all great and good. I must say that um, I know that Jennifer Lopez wanted to be a megastar. And I say that Jennifer and I worked together um, back on a show called um, South Central. Um, but I think it's important to, to make the distinction between what my dream was and what Jennifer Lopez's dream was, and what I would dare to guess was also Oprah's um, dream, because I think that we get what we focus on. And I don't have regrets about having asked to be a working, successful, sought-after Hollywood actress. It still works for my life. I love it. And I'm aware that had I asked for something else, I would have gotten it. Well... I don't want to interrupt your thought because if you were if you weren't finished, please go ahead. 
Well, I mean, and then just to complete your question, is it as glamorous as you imagine? Well, I'm not in your mind. I'm not real sure where your imagination has taken you, but I can tell you that um, I live a life that I absolutely 100% without question, regret, or doubt love. I love my life. I love waking up every single day. Um, I love every aspect of my life. I love my my career. I love my family. Um, if I were to ask for anything, it would be to have more, <laughs> more <laughs> of everything that I already have. And that's not from a greedy place, but it's from a place that um, asking is one of the places where I I, it's my wheelhouse. It's like I, I'm, I know what I'm doing in that space. You know, I really uh, can let go and uh, allow myself to be and grow and expand and learn and, you know, be this place where these ideas that I've not thought of, this, these people who I don't personally know, but they come through me and they, and they teach me and they refine my life and I love that. And uh, I feel the same way with regards to my family and the relationships that I have in my life. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one of the themes of this show is serenity. So we've already talked about journey, and I know that we really haven't finished talking about your journey because you are doing so much more than just, and I say just in quotation marks, of course, uh, being a a working Hollywood actress. You also have a whole other side of you that is in service to a very specific population. And I want to talk about that in a moment. But the other theme that we could talk about is, is serenity. Mm-hmm. And I believe that serenity is that peace of mind that comes with that clarity of purpose, kind of like what you were saying, you dreamed something very specific, asked for it, and then saw it as it floated by, grabbed it, and now you're enjoying every single moment of it. So I'm saying that serenity comes with that peace of mind, and that that vision and mission fulfilled. Now, my question is, what do you see as your mission in life? Because I think it's going to be different from being a working ha- actress. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Um, first off, I, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck on the word serenity. And it's such a beautiful word. And I love your definition of serenity, Uh, I'd like to share with you my simple definition of serenity for me. And that is, and it's very close to what you just said, but these are my words, that serenity is trusting that you can successfully and triumphantly meet life. And when we know we can meet the things that come to our plate, we don't really need life to show up in any particular way. And the work that it takes for us to develop and give over to that level of trust is what my what is my mission in this lifetime. Um, I do have a very specific mission. And it is it lives actually on my wall in my home, in my office. It lives in my heart. And the mission is stated something like this, and that is to bring inner fitness to life. 
And there's a double entendre in that. Um, inner fitness is uh, that way of living inside of ourselves that is um, the practice that is the byproduct of the practice of, of skills that develop mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. And when, when I say that the mission is to bring inner fitness to life, that means to bring that mental, emotional, spiritual well-being uh, alive in each one of our lives and to, in the greater community of, uh, of you know, our society and the world, to bring that conversation to life, to bring the conversation of inner fitness to life because... Um, it's not a conversation that our society is actively engaged in, as crazy as that sounds. Well, wouldn't you say that this is kind of in the realm of life skills? I mean, I don't know of anybody that, that teaches life skills in, in high school or um, any uh, formal training. You know, nobody says, okay, I'm going to go into a life skills class today. You know, check me out tomorrow because I think I'm going to be a lot better. <laughs> Yeah, it yeah, I um when I speak uh across the country, my opening uh and now my signature question because I've had the honor of being able to ask this question to um upwards of 7,000 people and um I'm going to ask it to you and your listening audience. In all your years of schooling, from kindergarten to whatever grade you completed, did you ever take one course that taught you how to navigate the dramas, traumas, upsets, and disappointments that come with life? Absolutely. Absolutely not. Right, right. Absolutely not. Yeah. 98% of the time that I ask that question, the answer is no or absolutely not, or I get a blank stare as the person sort of processes the insanity of that. You know, it's really hard when you, when you ask the question in such a straightforward way, it becomes sort of mind-boggling to think that here we are, all of us, whatever age we are, we've been on the planet long enough to have um, learned some sort of formal um, processes, skills, uh, gotten some sort of bona fide, verified, and codified information um, that helps us with these life skills. But most people have never encountered such a class or course. Right. And that's in, yeah. And when you think about it, Deborah, it's insane because every single one of us is managing dramas, traumas, upsets, and disappointments. And our lives are successful or not in a lot of cases uh, based upon those dramas, traumas, upsets, and disappointments. And go ahead. I don't. I don't. Well, I, don't I was just going to say that I know from having you know read your book and having some other conversations with you that self care and in particular self rejection are some of the um, life skills 
uh, not that you want to learn self-rejection, but you want to recognize it and, and cope with it or however you deal with it, you're, you know, whatever you tell people to do with it. But let's go there for a minute because I think that's how people can navigate life's choppy waters um, is understanding I, life care or uh, self-care in a way that most people don't. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And, um, you know, uh, quite often when uh, you hear the term self-care, uh, people might think of things like, um, you know, eating better, getting a good night's rest, um, massage, and all of those things are wonderful ways to take care of the body. The self-care that I talk about in the Little Book of Big Lies and the self-care that really is the platform on, on which I speak, it is self with a capital S. And that self represents our inner self. That self represents the part of us that um, it is absolutely alive. It is the most authentic part of ourselves. It is the essence of who we are. And yet, again, in this society, we're not taught that we have any more to us than what we see in the mirror. And even if you do have, um, you know, a really strong spiritual uh, life and background, um, even if you come from a family where you were loved and cherished, until you, the person, can stand in a mirror and look in that mirror and see more than your physical appearance, then the depth and breadth to which you have engaged in your self-care is still, um, it requires more of your attention, more of your time, more of your attention. Um, I believe that the two greatest gifts that we can give ourselves, that's the self with that capital S, is the quality time and attention that allows us to really begin to see who we are. One of the greatest um, spiritual uh, and metaphysical uh, questions that has been posed by all of the great thinkers from Jesus to Buddha to whomever is the question of who are you? And the reason that question is so important is because it is a doorway to move beyond the mind and what you've been taught about who you are, meaning most of us have been taught that we are this physical body that we live in. And yet the truth is, and I think we all have had this experience at some point, the truth is that there is something inside of us that is so awesome, that is so still and so expansive, and that that, that essence of us is uh, met or experienced. Quite often uh, I remember those times when I was laying in the sun, you know, and my eyes were closed, and all of a sudden I I felt like I was, you know, beyond my body, that I sort of spread out 
uh, across the, the the universe, let's say, you know, like a morning uh, fog, we all have had a sense that we are more than just the body. And when we actually ask the question, who am I? We begin to connect with that essence and become to know it as specifically and as concretely as we know the physical us that we look at when we look in the mirror. Well, you know, about 20 minutes ago, I asked for what I call your two-minute movie. And I'm going to say that people have a public two-minute movie, but I'm also going to propose that we also have our private two-minute movie. And I'm going to bet that sort of like that doorway into who am I being either all the way open or not has to do with the lies that we carry tucked in for some reason, and maybe even some of what I believe you call sacred torture. So why don't we talk about that? You Because know, I know that there are lies that, that you have pointed out in your book, the little book of big mm-hmm. lies and truths that set you free. Mm-hmm. And you know, how did you get that? I mean, what, where did that come from? And let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it is the byproduct of awakening. And that is an endless journey. So um, awakening is that. It's, it's always in process. And um, I, I don't know the genesis of this idea, but this idea has been, I mean, it, it, has, it has kept me up at night in wonderful ways. It has led me to bookstores, I mean, one of my most favorite um, experiences is, you know, I just keep thinking about the self, you know, self, self, what does that really mean? What, what is self and, and, and where is self? And I'm just very fascinated by that four-letter word. I think it is one of the most powerful and loving words, and yet in our society, we are basically taught to not acknowledge self. It falls into the category of being prideful or boastful or whatever. Well, even the word and, selfish, you know, selfish could be a good thing. Yes, yes, as you, as you begin to redefine what self means for sure. But in our society, quite often, selfish, the, the fear of being selfish or, this, or the fear of being full of self is so great that we literally reject ourselves so that we don't have to go there, so that we don't um, dare see in someone's eyes the question of who do we think we are. And, um, and what has happened for me is that the more I, I believe, I mean, and when I say be, believe, I'm not talking about with my mind. I'm talking about with every cell in my body. The more I know that we are extensions of something far greater than ourselves, right? The more I know that, the more that redefines 
how I see myself, what I call myself, and who I am. And so I've begun to see self as the arms and legs of this greater self. And in that context, self becomes a very honored position. And it becomes so honored that I, you know, a lot happens for me when I'm hiking um, up my favorite canyon, which I do almost daily with my dogs. And when I was hiking one day, I caught the idea that the greatest of all sins and the best of all practices would be for us to investigate self and decide that from this point forward, there is never, ever a justifiable reason for us to uh, reject ourselves, speak harshly to or about ourselves for any reason. It is completely and utterly unacceptable. And when that idea hit me, I realized that that was part of the challenge that most people were living with in, in the struggle and the lies and the, the, the mind chatter that happens to us. That stuff is completely driven by our uh, self-rejection. It's driven by the negative ways that we see and talk about ourselves. It's driven and fed by how we um, discount who we are, discount our opinions, discount our um, dreams. When I caught that, I realized that the only thing any one of us has to do to move from where we are into an extraordinary experience of ourselves in this lifetime is to begin to honor ourself as though we are innately worthy and whole. And um, at Waking Up Fabulous, I, uh, we actually uh, define um, each and every person as innately creative, resilient, empowered, whole, and worthy. And um, the, the instruction, the self-instruction is to crew up, you know, to at every turn do whatever is necessary to remember that you are innately creative, resilient, empowered, whole, and worthy. Crew up. Well, I I just realized that I have never thought about replacing self-rejection with self-honor. And I think that is a very great aha moment for anyone who just decides, like you just said, from this day forward, I shall not reject myself, but I shall honor at all times. Because... Imagine the differences in your decisions when you do that. In other words, even taking your body as an example. In the Bible, I think it says the body is a temple. You must, you know, you must treat it as such. 
Um, so when we are talking about our the rest of us, which is not the corporate the corporate bo- the corporal body, but the the rest of us, you know, the essence that you're talking about, how can we do anything but treat that as a temple? That's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So I uh, I'm just I'm I'm processing that because that's kind of a big one. That's very cool. Uh, I, I mean, it really makes a difference. You know, just just you can say to yourself, now, does that honor me? Does that honor the essence of me, whatever that thing is that I'm about to either do or think or engage with or react to? Um, if, frankly, even watching certain kinds of TV shows, you know, maybe that Absolutely. doesn't, you know, it doesn't Absolutely. honor myself to try Absolutely. to go to sleep to um, Criminal Minds because that that's, is like the, it's <laughs> like the worst um, way to go to sleep, you know, with with um, uh, death and dying, ugh, terrible. <laughs> anyway, I do that all the time. It's like, man, this is hard to go to sleep with. <laughs> Yeah, and it's, it's I, I, what you're saying, I think, is absolutely um, an incredible pathway to freedom um, and the pathway to wisdom in honor of the, the name of your show. Um, it's like a rabbit's hole. In fact, it has proven to be that for me in my life to the degree that I drain my life of any form of self-rejection, any form, from the subtlest to the most um, um, grotesque, I discover uh, a me and an inner value and power that is mind-boggling. And the beauty is that as we begin to know our worth and trust our our wholeness and value and our our ability, our like I said, our crew, our innate creativity, resilience, empowered nature, wholeness and worth. When we really lean into that, again, we don't need life to show up in any particular way. Because we don't have to be afraid that life is going to leave us dashed, you know, um, splattered on the pavement, you know, or 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 up against the wall. Well, I was going to say that one of the gifts that a person can receive by reading your book, and I, I'm going to say the title again for you, <laughs> uh, the little book of big lies and truths that set you free. Uh, one of the gifts is that you tell us 14 stories that can lead to freedom, um, mm-hmm. that can lead to uh, learning new steps for healing those old wounds and, frankly, creating your best life and that whole concept of getting your power back. Um, so we don't have to just say, or you're not going to just say, you know, dude, start honoring yourself and get over it, right? You're going to also tell us, in story form, some of the lies that trip people up. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I, I thank you for making that distinction because it certainly was the distinction that was present for me as I was writing. Um, I am, without question, um, you know, a personal development, self-help, um, 
and junkie, enthusiast, whatever you might want to call me. And I've been that way um, since I was a very young girl. Uh, it, I'm an old soul, and so I came here with a um, predisposed for this conversation. But one of my frustrations with my experience um, quite often with, uh, with church, with, um, you know, even a lot of the, the books that I read and got a lot of value out of, uh, but my frustration was that you had to work really hard to sort of understand what to do you know, what some of the to-dos were that would allow me to navigate around the way I was thinking or the way I was seeing or, you know, show me um, a better way to think and see in a way that I could embrace and that could begin to make a difference in my life immediately. And I think that, that what the little book of Big Lies does is um, it took me such a long time to write this little book and I'm really clear today about why. Because it took that long for me to really become transparent and be willing to tell the bottom line truth about what goes on inside of me and my process. And I don't think that in our society we are taught to be really authentic. You know, one of the stories talks about um, us being gladiators, you know, and uh, the people who lead with confidence um, are those sort of modern-day gladiators. and, And everybody wants to put on that Superman cape and show up as the most confident, the most knowledgeable, the most whatever in the room. And when you've got a society that, that rewards that, then it's really hard to show up as the person who isn't quite so sure, the person who is navigating through, you know, a bunch of, of lies or misconceptions, you, you don't get a lot of social support about, uh, you know, in that, in that journey because everybody's being the gladiator. And I think that there's so much evidence in our society today that people want to have a more authentic conversation and that we have grown up seriously enough to where we're willing to have that conversation and know that it is truly honoring self as opposed to destroying self. It destroys the ego idea of ourself, but it really does build in a profound way the sense of ourselves that we are human beings in this huge universe finding our way without any instruction book. And what we know for sure is that there's a lot of ways in which the human, the human condition, the human being gets caught 
gets caught by insecurity, gets caught by lies, and I consider anything that makes you feel unworthy and not good enough a lie. And those lies come from parents, they come from teachers, they come from our own misinterpretation of of a situation or circumstance or ourselves. Um, Anything that has us, that leaves us uh, out of alignment with ourselves is a lie that we must ultimately write. And the more we can have social discourse that is honest about the human experience, the more we can live through these lies and rise to the essence, the powerful essence of who we really are. Well, I know that in your book uh, you talk about, and I think also in some people's two-minute movies you notice that people will say, my circumstances define me. In other words, you'll, you'll hear that in how they say something about themselves or their life. And you can tell that something that happened, a drama, trauma, upset, or disappointment, is really what, you know, it's like their badge of honor almost. And it starts to, frankly, probably make a person feel small when they let their circumstances define who they are. And yet, one of your stories is all about the fact that you are bigger than your circumstances, and yeah. you you spent a night in jail, and somebody's going to have to read the book to find out why. <laughs> now, how's that for a little tease? Um, yeah, but, you, you know, and, and you were able to get through that because of this this life skill, this self-care, this um, yeah. essence of self with a capital S that yeah. you understand and that kept you from going under in your darkest yeah. hour. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Um, and you know that is one of uh, I would say one of the the tenets. Um, actually, it's one of the fourteen practices, as I've defined them, of inner health and wellness. And um, practice number four says that I embrace the idea that I am bigger than any circumstance I face or any challenge I face. And that's not a concept that, um, you know, that we are taught on a regular basis. But when we begin to, again, connect with what self is with that capital S, and we see if we begin to challenge and, and, and look for the truth in the idea that we are innately creative, resilient, empowered, whole, and worthy, then it begins to make sense that we can dare to see ourselves as bigger than any challenge we face. And when we start playing that game, then the game of circumstances uh, we're going to be we're going to be the winner because we're not going to we're not going to fold because of the circumstances. We're not going to give up 
because of the circumstances. I um one of my favorite um, um stories about my acting career is actually uh a story that that uh ignores circumstances. And I was um I lived in Los Angeles and I was in New York. I was actually in New Brunswick uh doing a play. And it was right before what's called pilot season here in Los Angeles. And pilot season is a very big deal. It's um, it's when actors and agents and the whole town is busy finding talent for next season's TV shows. And, you know, every actor and a talent agency and, and network um, is highly invested in pilot season because it means um, major success in some way for some people. There are going to be shows that take off. There are going to be stars made. There's going to be money made. So pilot season is a big deal. And I made the choice to go to New Brunswick and do a play. And um, the contract that I was working under for stage, I don't know, I think it probably paid me maybe $500 a week. I'm not even sure. And my agent was furious with me. And um, I had just done a big movie called uh, The Grand Canyon, and I was getting a lot of buzz around that movie. And my agent said to me, uh, what is it, Tina? Are you afraid of success that you would take yourself out of the market and go do a play in New Brunswick? And I turned to him and I said, no, actually, I am so convinced of my success that I can go. I don't have to sit here next to a phone. I can actually go to New Brunswick and do a play uh, written by a playwright, Kathleen McGee Anderson, who I, whose work I just absolutely love and who was giving me an opportunity to, in one role, play, I think it was, three or four characters. And, you know, that's just that was my actor's dream, to go be on the board. Well, long story short, um, the opening night um, of the play, I was scheduled to actually get on a plane and come back to L.A. to audition for a pilot. And um, just as I had told my agent, if people, if they wanted me, they would come get me, and they did. There was a pilot that wanted me. Uh, they actually changed their schedule so that I could get out of New Brunswick uh, on my one day off, which was a Monday, come into L.A. and audition and then get back on a plane and go back to New Brunswick to be on the board uh, in the play the next day on Tuesday. And my friends flew in from um, California. I think I had about eight friends who flew in. And as soon as they got there, the storm of the century hit. And literally, uh, New York shut down. There was snow so high that that literally it would be up to your waist. Mm. Everything closed down, and uh, there were the planes, the airports. It was just crazy. And my friends started saying to me, "Well, what are you going to do? You're supposed to be in L.A. on Monday." And this was this was Friday, um, and they actually closed down the the opening for Saturday. We didn't have it, 
And I said, I'm going to L.A. I don't know how I'm going to L.A. I bet none of that is my business, but I, I am going to L.A. And everything in me knew that I was going to L.A. And um, the CBS's uh, limo uh, company called and told me that they were sorry, but they would not be able to pick me up because, um, because um, it was an act of God. And I explained to the man, I said, look, I don't know anything about New York. The only thing I do know is that I must be on a plane Sunday night. I have, there's a room full of people waiting to see me on Monday morning in Los Angeles, and I have to be there. And the man laughed and said to me, well, ma'am, this is an act of God, so I don't know what to tell you. And I packed my bags. I made a lot of phone calls um, preparing to be in L.A., having absolutely no idea how this was going to be pulled off. And um, right before we went on that night, or that Sunday, because the show, instead of opening on Saturday, it did open on Sunday um, with very few people because literally the streets were just filled with snow. And right before we went on, um, a young man said to me, Tina, I can. I think I can get you to the airport. I'll, I'll drive you. I know some back roads. I said, great. By time um, I, I'm sitting in my dressing room uh, about to go on stage and I get a knock on the door and the stage manager tells me that there are two limo drivers now in the audience. Two people have shown up to take me to the airport. I take my bow, you know, we get on stage, we do the show. I take, I, I don't even take my bow while the rest of the cast is taking their bow. I'm sneaking out the back of the theater. I randomly choose um, one of the, the limo drivers, you know, just randomly, and the one I chose knew New York like the back of his hand, knew every possible back road. We got to the airport in record time, uh, once we got there, we sat on the tarmac for uh, the runway for uh, hours. Uh, they actually deplaned people. Uh, some people had to give up their seats. The whole time, I absolutely knew that I was going to be in Los Angeles. And um, I finally got into L.A. like almost 12 hours late. I got there at 6 in the morning left the plane station, went to get my hair done, went to get my nails done, uh, got to CBS to audition at noon, uh, left the audition, and by the time I got to my home, they called me and told me I had the job. Uh, I then got on a plane and went back to New Jersey and finished out the run and then came back and did one of, the, the, one of my most favorite um, career opportunities of all time. And are you going to tell us what that is? No, that was it. Was it was a show called uh, South Central? Ah, mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah. So you were bigger than all of those circumstances. Your dream carried the day, and your trust was right there. You were just trusting that uh, you were going to be where you were supposed to be. That's right. Period. 
That's right. I love that story. And you can't, yes, and you can't get there unless you bust through the lies. And so, um, you know, that was a, that was a, that is one of my favorite stories, but it, I think it's an important story because it takes us full circle in this conversation and it lets you know how important it is to catch sight of the lies, the assumptions, the capitulation to circumstances and, and, and uh, comments that have been made uh, to and about you that really under um, the microscope, they don't hold water. They're not true. They're just big old lies. Right. And Go ahead. And so, and so in the little book of Big Lies, um, we, I walk you through uh, really uncommon ideas of lies, like, you know, um, do you think that some pain lasts forever? Um, that, that, that circumstance that you've been dealing with for such a long time that you actually don't really believe that you can ever be free with it. That circumstance that harasses you, that makes you feel small and not good enough, that, that has proven to be bigger than you all this time, it's a freaking lie. It is a lie. And in the little book of Big Lies, we show you how to see that. We show you how to uh, begin to dismantle and untie yourself from that lie. Um, the lie about, you know, what is confidence and what is insecurity. We address that. Um, one of my one of my favorites, and um, you'll learn a lot about my father, who I absolutely love, even though he passed away about four or five years ago. But um, his lie is really shared in the story called I'm Upset Because. And it talks about, you know, the the things that have us upset um, that really are not the reasons we're upset at all and how we look beyond the upset to really discover what's there and then out it and um, apply these simple principles to it. So I know that you're also, in, in addition to being an author and an actress, you're also an inner fitness trainer. And I don't know exactly what a person gets with an inner fitness trainer, so I'm just going to ask you, is it sort of like, uh, I don't know, Tybo for the emotions? <laughs> so, <laughs> a, little, a little kickboxing? Uh, what, uh, what is an inner fitness trainer? What does somebody get with, uh, with that? Okay. That well, person? you know, right. So um, I, uh, just as the the term implies, you know, when you train, you become practiced and skillful. And becoming practiced and skillful at um, acknowledging that inner self and then honoring, um, growing, and expanding in that self, that's the kind of coaching that I do. And um, inner fitness, I'd like, to, I'd like to think about inner fitness much like we, we, we think about physical fitness. Inner fitness is really sort of, it's 
the umbrella. It's the context, you know. Um, just like physical fitness is the umbrella. It's the, it's the conversation. Inner fitness is the conversation. Now, there's lots of ways to have that conversation. In physical fitness, you know that the conversation is about diet and exercise and flexibility. In inner fitness, it is the same but with a different emphasis. It is about, it is about the diet of, of the kinds of thoughts you are imbuing or eating or taking in every single day. It's about the, um, the ways in which you exercise your thinking and your belief. It's about um, how flexible you are in confronting and navigating the ego, that part of you that wants you to stay as it has always known you rather than move out into territory that is unknown and somewhat scary and, and quite honestly, territory that might leave that sort of, you know, puffed-up personality uh, behind. So if you think about inner fitness, much the way you think about physical fitness, my job is to help you to A, uh, understand and become as familiar with the with the conversation and the tenets of physical of inner fitness as you and the society are when it comes to physical fitness. Does that make sense? It does. Mm-hmm. It does. And my thinking is um, that the stamina and strength and flexibility that I would need in order to do. Uh, any kind of core training or any kind of of um, long bone training or whatever, you know, wa- walking, whatever, um, it sounds like that's emotional muscles that have to be honed and Absolutely. and trained. That's exactly, Same thing. That's exactly what it is. Uh, our society doesn't teach us how to navigate our dramas, traumas, upsets, and disappointment. Inner fitness gives us, it first redefines us, in that create, innately creative, resilient, empowered, whole, and worthy way. And then it allows us to define as our purpose the development of our inner resilience, stamina, strength, and flexibility. And now, one of the things... Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. And one of the things that um, um, I love to say, it, it's my signature statement, is that when we know ourself with that capital S, we are empowered. And when we accept ourselves, we are invincible. Ooh, say that again. <laughs> when we know ourselves, we are empowered. When we accept ourselves, we are invincible. All right. Now, what's the difference then between inner fitness and positive thinking? Because that sounds like a positive thinking kind of statement, but I'm quite sure that there is a distinction. And then there's also spirituality that kind of floats around in here, too, when you're talking about the essence of self. So what is the difference, what is the distinction, if you will, that I'm that I'm needing yeah. to know? Okay. So, um, again, if we go back to... Um, the mission of Waking Up Fabulous, which is to bring inner fitness to life. Um, and again, um, as I said earlier, 
if you think about it in terms of the container, inner fitness is the container or the big picture. Positive thinking, spirituality, meditation, um, eating right, those are pathways. And you absolutely can use any of those different pathways to go towards the bigger conversation of inner fitness. But the inner fitness is really about what does it take to become mentally, emotionally, and spiritually sound. So if you were going to paint a picture of optimal inner fitness, what would it look like? Uh, How would I I know that I had that I had arrived. Uh, it, you know, I, this, the, my my um, my uh, response to that is really sort of my favorite statement, but it may not be a big haha for a lot of people. But here we go. It is simply the ability to stand before life, actively engaged in uh, our self-acceptance and our self-care, trusting that we can successfully navigate whatever we face. Now, to me, that is big and powerful and, and enough. <laughs> well, here's what I like about it, too, is actively engaged. It's not passive. No, there's nothing passive about it. Right, so it's not passive, all right? It is that responsible, accountable thing that only self can be towards self. Yes. Is that true? Yes, yes. Right? Absolutely. All right, and then it goes back to that trusting thing that you teed up almost an hour ago about how important that is, um, that trusting, um, because you've done the work, right? And you've not only done the work, but you've checked in and you have accepted who you are, you can look at yourself in the mirror and you can say, Deborah, I love you yes. and mean it. Yes. And what's beautiful is you're trusting that you've done the work, but you also are trusting the, um, the nature of the universe that you're connected to. Absolutely. That, that both things are things you can trust in. Absolutely. Well, I love that, and and um, I hope that um, other people will do the same thing that I'm going to do. I'm going to listen to this show again myself because I know that I I take notes uh, just like I'm in school. I've got four pieces of paper covered, um, and and that's just the way I enjoy new information. But I also know that I will want to listen to it again because I think there's some things woven in here that uh, that need to be heard again. So I hope others will do the same. Um, now, I know that you have written this, this wonderful book. I'm going to mention it mm-hmm. again, The Little Book of Big Lies mm-hmm. and Truths That Set You Free. Mm-hmm. And I have to imagine that you have gotten some wonderful comments because it is an Amazon bestseller. Mm-hmm. I know that you have probably had some things happen that you know just make you realize you're very glad you wrote it. So mm-hmm. why don't you share that? Um, okay. I, actually, one of the things happened this morning and um I was at uh, a lunch yesterday. Uh I happened to have a book with me. I handed it to a woman 
um, that I don't know very well at all. Um, we exchanged phone numbers. She called me today and she said she started reading the book at 3 o'clock uh, this morning. And the words that she shared that most, most touched my heart were these. She said, Tina, thank you so much for writing this book. The healing started the moment I opened it. And I thought, well, you know, those five, almost six years of challenge that it took me to get to this place where I could be transparent and authentic and really refine the conversation that I am having in the world, uh, all of that matters. All of the frustration, all of the tears, the not knowing, the starting over 30 times, it matters. Because this woman said that the moment she opened the book and read the dedication, her healing began. Oh, my doesn't goodness. It yeah, doesn't get better than that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. Well, you know what? We're we're wrapping up the show here in a minute. Believe me, it has been a very fast hour as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, we've talked about your journey. We've talked about our respective uh, definitions of serenity, which are two of the themes of the show. The third theme of the show is legacy. And it sounds like you might have just touched on it right here with that wonderful testimonial from that lady that you touched so deeply. Just, you know, that right there. I'm going to guess, is part of your legacy. But do you feel that your work and the Inner Fitness Project will impact the world in a, def- in a, in a definite way that you see what that's going to be? Yeah. You know, um, I know that the way in which it wakes me up in the morning and takes me to bed at night um, is purpose-filled. And uh, I know from many testimonials and, you know, I do workshops and I have a a play called The Circle and in each one of the uh, venues, um, the inner fitness is literally being brought to life. So I'm living my purpose uh, and I know that I will be in this conversation till I die and uh, I'm good with that. Well, I'm good with it, too, and I, I, I am very proud to call you friend. Mm-hmm. Um, I have had the opportunity to tell you at one point that I also consider you a mentor, and mm-hmm. I love the little book of Big Lies. I think it is a seminal work. I think that it has all that transparency, all of that love that's in it. Um, it's, it's, it's brilliant. I think everyone should have their own copy. I know that they can go right now and buy the book for 99 cents on Amazon, which is a steal. (laughs) Uh, They should go to Amazon.com and put in, uh, under books, just put in either Tina Lifford, and that's T-I-N-A-L-I-F-F-O-R-D, or The Little Book of Big Lies, and you'll be able to then click on that and buy that book. Do yourself that wonderful gift. Um, I want to give you a chance to do your shameless self-promotion, Tina, Um, And uh, so I've just done part of it for you, but you can do it again so they get it. And then I want you to give one takeaway that you want to leave with people. Okay, great. Um, So the shameless self-promotion, I like this, actually. Um, You know what? For the next uh, three days, what we're going to be doing is monitoring 
um, our website and the Amazon uh, purchases. And so we're going to offer, I'm offering, um, we're going to do a drawing. And anyone who buys a book from Amazon, um, like you said, it's 99 cents as an e-book. If you prefer to have a print copy, you can go to uh, my website at www.wakingupfabulous.com, just like it sounds, and uh, click products, and you can purchase your um, 220-page physical book there, paperback book there. Um, Another way that you can be entered into this drawing that we're going to have um, where you'll get a session, a, 45, a 30 to 45-minute session with me, uh, is you can go to my website, again, at uh, www.wakingupfabulous.com and give us your uh, email and sign up for my newsletter. And the fourth way that you can participate in uh, this drawing is that if you're at the website, you can actually click the blog tab um, or one of the blogs on the front page and put a comment in um, one of the blogs, read it and then comment. We'll be monitoring those four places. That's buying the Amazon. If you go to Amazon, you need to take a, a screenshot of your purchase page and send it to me or just send me your confirmation number, your order number, uh, at Tina at wakingupfabulous.com. That's Tina at wakingupfabulous.com. You send me that email, your name will be entered into the drawing. If you go and you buy the physical book on my website, your name will be entered in the drawing. If you go and you put your name in to receive our newsletter, your name will be put in the drawing. And if you go to the website and you read a blog and comments in the next three days, your name will be placed in the drawing. And if you do all four of those things, your name will be placed in the drawing four times. So you have four more chances um, of actually being the winner. And, uh, and so my, that's my shameless self-promotion. And, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, and because because there is real value here, you know, and um, the, the 99 cents book, buy it for you and, and send three copies to somebody else. And here's the takeaway. Um, you are so much more than you have been taught, than you have given yourself credit to be, than you know. And from this point forward, and up until now, you may not have been completely connected to the wholeness and worth of your wholeness and your worth, but from this point forward, there is never, ever a justifiable reason to speak harshly of yourself, to reject or abuse yourself for any reason. It is completely and utterly unacceptable. Fantastic. That's fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much for being my guest today, Tina. It has been a wonderful, wonderful hour. And I just, I love the, um, the idea of seeing you on the boards. I, I'm going to, um, I'm going to hold that picture. (laughs) 
I want to see you on a stage somewhere soon. Oh well, we're actually we're actually going to Chicago. If anyone uh, is listening from Chicago, uh, my play The Circle will be at the um, Music Institute of Chicago for two days in February, um, February the 25th and the 26th. And uh, you can always go to our website and go to the Circle tab and find out where the Circle is performing. It's quite an experience. Yes, that's actually how we met. I actually have seen you perform the Circle, and uh, anybody listening, you must must watch for it. If it's not in a town um, near you right now, it will be because it's going to go on the road. So thank you so much. Have a wonderful day and a happy New Year, everyone. Thank you for being with me today, Tina. It's been my pleasure. And uh, go out and make a difference, I say. That's the pathway to wisdom. Thank you so much, Deborah. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and be well. Happy New Year. Bye-bye now. Okay, bye-bye. Pathways to Wisdom is a production of Boomer and the Babe Incorporated. You can find out more about Boomer and the Babe Incorporated by visiting our website at boomerandthebabe.com. 